Romans chapter 16 and verse 3. Teaching tonight on the church in your house. Romans chapter 16 and verse 3 says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. This is, of course, near the end of the book of Romans. Paul is he's going through, as he so often does, this, this list of people that he would like to greet. It is interesting, I find. Uh, maybe you don't find it interesting at all. But Paul, uh, it is no accident that Paul mentions Priscilla first and not Aquila. Uh, I find that kind of curious. Uh, previously in Scripture, especially in the book of Acts, you see uh, Aquila and Priscilla. It's a husband and wife team. Aquila is the husband. Priscilla is the wife. But now Paul flips the script and mentions Priscilla first. He says, who have laid down or for who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Go ahead, poke your neighbor in the ribs and tell him the church that is in your house. For many of you, that neighbor is literally somebody that lives in your house, but close enough. Amen. I want to review, uh, because that's exactly what it is, Acts chapter 2. In the closing verses of Acts chapter 2, we're just, I'm just going to share what's on my heart tonight. And uh, I want to bring clarity to something we've been talking about for months. And I feel uh, that the time is now. Uh, the moment is now. Uh, and uh, Brother Baptiste spoke to that so powerfully. And uh, I'm excited about what God's going to do in this church and in this city and in this region. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 uh, You've heard these words before, but hear them again. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is the summation of the gospel. It's, it's how we appropriate the gospel to our lives. Anybody thankful that we have an understanding and a revelation that we can repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? We should never get tired of hearing that. We're here because we heard that. This region needs to hear that. This region needs a moment and an opportunity to respond to that, just like you got to respond to it. For the promise is unto you and to your children and all, to that, all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Man, it would be nice every once in a while if near the end of my sermon there was just like a succinct little summary. With many other words did he preach to the church and say, Save yourselves. And then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There were four things there that they continued steadfastly in. The first one was doctrine. And this church, and I'm thankful for a bishop that is going to, to oversee that, to guard that, to jealously defend doctrine. We are a doctrinally sound church, and God has, has instilled pillars in this church with a love for the apostles' doctrine. The next thing that they had was fellowship, togetherness. 
It was, it was more than just going out to eat after service. It was a sharing of life. And in breaking of bread, it's not just, again, going out to eat. Though, man, there's some great conversation to be had over dinner with somebody in this room. But it also refers to a, a, a joining together in communion or the, the, the Last Supper or that, that, that remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And in prayers, we're going to be a praying church. We're going to be a praying church. We're going to be a church that continues to grow in prayer. I don't want to take for granted that we've, we've got a baseline of prayer that is laid, but we can grow in prayer. We can grow in effectiveness in prayer. And watch what happened. And fear or awe and reverence came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, don't worry, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, this was not something that was commanded, but this was something that was done by the impetus or by the stirring of the Holy Ghost. And there were those that decided, you know what? The, the kingdom needs the money from this Lamborghini more than I do. And so they, they got rid of the Lamborghini. They brought it. They laid it at the apostles' feet. And they began to distribute that to every person as had need. Again, it was not a command, but it was something that began to happen spontaneously. Consider for a moment that there are a large amount of pilgrims that have traveled to Jerusalem to be there for the feast. That's surely a large number of the 3,000. And now they're staying for an extended period of time. Finances were going to be needed. I don't know if you've ever gone on vacation and then you got there and you're like, man, I could stay here forever. Anybody ever think that? And then you look at the bank account and you're like, I could stay here till Monday. <laughs> right. So a lot of the pilgrims would have been thinking the same thing. Finances were needed because we've got this large collection of people that have come into the church. Uh, verse 46, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. This is the kind of church I want to be. A church with one accord. I want to be a daily church. I want to break bread from house to house. I want to meet with one accord in the temple. And God help us to have gladness and singleness of heart. We can have a, a good attitude about this. And they continued praising God. And having favor with all the people. When regional dominion breaks out, there's going to be favor that rests upon the church. That doesn't mean there's not going to be resistance. But it just means that God is going to open a door of favor that will rest upon the Jesus church. And the end result of all of those things was the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want to be a daily church. Anybody else want to be a daily church? If we want to be a daily church, then it follows that we have to daily be the church. It's not going to happen by accident if we're not focused on it happening. 
But if we will purpose to be about kingdom business every day, then God will partner with us and God will come alongside of us and we will be a daily church. Stories like Manuel getting filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't think the timing on that is coincidental at all. It's something we've been proclaiming. It's something that was spoken over us just a couple of Sundays ago. And I believe we're going to see it all the more commonly. Every home can be a place. I believe that God is going to establish in homes across this community a light, as it were, that like a spotlight that hits your home in the neighborhood. And people are drawn. They don't understand why. They don't know why. They don't see why. But they're drawn to your house. Because there's going to be a church in your house. I want to remind you of a couple of things Brother Baptiste said. Again, if you have not gone back and listened to that, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to that. Uh, If you need to listen to it at one and a half speed, you can burn through the whole message in about 22 minutes, which by my calculations means that you could get you could get that message in like nine times in a day if you just play it through over and over. Just burn it into your psyche. All right. Uh, I joke, but do go back and listen to that. Some words that were spoken is that God is going to give the Jesus church an unconventional revival and harvest. There are some, he said this, there are some here that are frustrated by all the changes that are taking place. It was right then, or what what was there, what, what we had and what we were doing was right for the moment, but the Spirit is now moving on to something else, and He challenged us to get on board and make up our mind to go with the Spirit. He told us that God will give specific strategy for a specific season. And often God will give you that specific strategy before he opens a door to the season. System is given before season. There is a distinct anointing for teaching Bible studies, particularly going to rest upon some fathers in this house. God is going to settle something over your homes. He prophesied and spoke over us. There's a company of angels that has been visiting the church while we pray and while we worship. But they're getting ready to go to our homes. There is about to be a regional taking based in the home. Not just going to be 10 or 20 at a time in the church being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But there is something about to start occurring in our homes. There's something about to start happening in your neighborhood. And so he challenged us to begin to pace our neighborhoods and not just pray over it, but begin to prophesy over it. As you drive the streets of this city, begin to speak the word of God out of your mouth and begin to proclaim what you want to see God do in your neighborhood and all across this city. As you drive from town to town, just begin to proclaim the word of God. If you drive through Clark, begin to proclaim there's going to be an apostolic church in Clark. There's going to be a church in Goodwin. There's going to be a church uh, that rises up, not just in Millbank and in Webster, but in Florida. There are going to be churches springing up all around this region. So I want to talk tonight and bring some clarity and talk about Jesus Church life groups. First of all, what they are. Are small, we could use the word cell groups. Uh, the cell being the, the most uh, 
independent or the, the smallest independent functioning life organism in your body. You are made up of cells, but you are one body. A cell group, uh, we'll, we'll use the term life group, uh, are 10 to 15 teens and adults. And they're going to be meeting in homes on Tuesday evenings, the time generally being 7 o'clock, but able to adjust for each group. And they are going to be led by men and women of this church. Everybody say, that's me. Okay. Not just by the ministry team. In fact, it would be detrimental if it were only the ministry team leading these life groups. But every spirit-filled believer has the potential and the capacity that can be developed to lead a life group in your home. There can be a church in every home. I believe it was Roosevelt that said there would be a chicken in every pot. Was that, that was Roosevelt, right? Uh, as he's, he's preaching the New Deal, he's, he's, he's telling the people coming through the Great Depression, well, I can't tell you there's going to be a chicken in every pot, but there can be a church in every home. There can be a collection of believers that gathers in every single home. These life groups will have a dual goal. They will have a dual goal of discipleship and evangelism. They'll meet the goal of discipleship in this manner. There will be a portion of clear biblical teaching. But discipleship is more than just a structured class or one Bible study series. I'm, I'm thankful for new believers classes. I'm thankful for Bible studies that are, are structured like exploring God's word or search for truth or any other structured format Bible study. They have their time. They have their place. We're going to continue them. We're going to continue utilizing them. But discipleship is more than just one Bible study series. We look at the life and the example of Jesus Christ and we understand that discipleship envisions or involves much being caught and not taught. I'm going to use a phrase that I, I, I'm not a huge fan of, but I'm becoming more of a fan of uh, because of its, its cliché-ness and its connotations in mainstream popular Christianity. I'm going to use a phrase and we're going to claim the phrase and we're just going to, we're going to make it our own and we're going to make it something that we like. You ready? We're going to do life together. All right. I got it out. Now, we may not say that phrase all the time. There were a few grimaces. We may not say that phrase all the time, but that is the essence of discipleship. Discipleship does not involve just coming here on a Sunday night for a new converts course or a once one hour a week Bible study. Discipleship involves bringing somebody into your life, into your home, connecting with them. Jesus walked around with at a minimum of 12 guys with him at all times. Not counting the women that followed the group as well and others that followed his group at all times. He poured into individuals. Now, I understand that we have these things called jobs. Uh, and we're thankful for our jobs. God has blessed us with jobs. We're going to be a working church. And so we, we don't have that same flexibility if God calls you to quit your job and to become a traveling preacher, let's talk after service. And I want to help you obey the voice of God. I believe that he's going to provide for you. But in the absence of that, 
You can't take your disciple to work with you, but you can sure find somebody at work to disciple in that downtime. It's the ongoing mission. It's the, the, the phrase that this church will continue to repeat until it's just ingrained inside of us. Disciple, be one, make one. How do you know you are a disciple? When you begin making disciples. If you've never led somebody closer to Jesus Christ, then that means there is continued area for growth in your life of discipleship. That means you have an area of improvement that you can grow greater in your following of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be connected to one another. We're going to share our homes. We're going to share our lives, not just with each other, but with others. Because the other goal is evangelism. This will require each of us to invite people to these groups. And I promise you, it is quite easy to convince somebody to come over to your home, have a Bible study, drink some coffee, and have a cookie. It is actually a far lower bar than bringing them to the church house. And so if we can't bring them to the church, we're just going to take the church to them. If, if we can't get them to come here, we're going to take the love of God, the fellowship of God, the doctrine of God outside of the walls of the church, put it in our living rooms, put it in our dining rooms, and bring people to our homes and begin to share together there. Everything we've done here tonight, we will do there. We'll open with prayer. We'll have a time of singing and worship. We'll pray for specific needs. And as a church or as a life group, more specifically, life groups will minister to the needs of those in the group as much as you're able. Now, if somebody needs a brand new vehicle, I don't expect the life group to somehow do that. But if somebody needs a ride to work or somebody needs, you know, they, they've just had knee surgery and they need their lawn mowed, we now have an opportunity as the body to meet a need in a community and demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to invite people to our homes. We're going to open our homes. Why? Because fellowship and authenticity are craved. We have, we're, we're so immersed in it that we don't realize what we've got. We're so immersed in the fellowship and in the love of the body that oftentimes we don't understand how, how precious the gift that you and I possess is. Think about this. Almost anybody in this room, maybe you don't have everybody's phone number in this room, but I could call almost anybody in this room and they would come and help me. And you could call almost anybody in this room and they would come and help you. I think back to a moment just back in May where homes were damaged by a storm, especially or including, not especially, please uh, forgive me for that, but including uh, my home and I was unable to take care of it by myself and just in short order people began showing up and before the night was over, not only had my need been ministered to, but the Shelsta's need had been ministered to. And then we began to cross the street and minister to neighbors across the street and just be there to help one another. Do you realize how special that is? Do, do we realize how special that is? 
We are blessed to have one another. And we are surrounded by people in this world that are craving that level of connection with somebody. You have people in your life that want to be that connected with somebody. It is not the will of God for people to go to church for one hour, hear the word, and then dash out the door and not know or be connected to anybody. We are a blessed people. And there are people in this community that are hungry for the fellowship that you have. And so we're going to invite them into that fellowship to be a part of it. Authenticity is craved. It's hard to be more authentic than two or three believers gathered together in a home, lifting up the name of Jesus and pursuing him together. Again, we're not there. I don't think we're anywhere close to it, but you can put on a performance in church. We could put on a great performance in church. I mean, we could get like smoke machines and invest more money in lights. And we're going to put some lights in. We're going we're gonna to wash the back wall in some nice lights. It's going to look great. It's not going to be brown anymore up there. It's going to be blue. And I'm excited about that moment when it finally comes. But this whole thing could easily become performative. It's really hard to, to put on a show when you're seated at your dining room table with, with the guy you went golfing with last week. And you're eating cookies and drinking coffee together and talking about the word of God. There's something authentic about a connection when people decide to do life together. And I join arms with Cole and, you know, maybe he's never been to the church house, but all of a sudden I bring him into fellowship with the body and the body begins to meet his needs. And I learned, Hey, you know, his car's broken down and I can maybe help him with that. Or I can get him a right. Is your car broken down? You giggled a little bit. Is it going to break down <laughs> in Jesus name? Anoint it with oil about a quarter week. I stole that from Robert Morris, but you can bring somebody into your fellowship. You can bring somebody into an authentic relationship with you and with Jesus Christ. And I refuse to believe that there are not hungry people all across this community that are looking for exactly what we have. a love for one another and a love for Jesus. And that love is going to be the key to evangelism that brings people to your home and then to the church. I'll say it again. It is love that is going to be the driving force of evangelism to bring people to your home and then to tie them to the church at large, the body of Christ at large. It's not going to be our savvy Facebook marketing. And I thank God for people that have skills and talents in that arena. It's not going to be how nice your home is or how polished your delivery is. It's going to be the love of God flowing through us that brings them into that relationship of discipleship. We are going to love people into the kingdom. We're going to preach the doctrine. We're going to preach the truth, but we're going to welcome them into fellowship. We're going to welcome them into love together. This is an opportunity for us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's hard as a church and we're a growing church. We've already reached the place where it is beyond the capacity of one person to bear everybody's burdens. Surely that cannot be what scripture was intending. And I'm thankful that we're a church that is not of that mindset. 
We're a church filled with, with not just licensed ministers, but uh, other men and, and women all throughout this church that bear a responsibility to one another upon their shoulders. But as we grow, it's going to be imperative that the church is able to come alongside. What if, what if God added to the church 3,000 souls? How in the world? Number one, we couldn't get them in this building. And we could not meet every need. But somehow, they met every need. Now, they had a temple that they could meet in on a fairly regular basis. But they also met in homes. They broke into smaller organisms and began to share, to teach, to lead, to do life together in those smaller settings of the home. Does that make sense? All right, cool. Is that sinking in? I want to talk about some things that this is not. So we've talked about what it is. Now I want to talk about what it's not. And we're going to move quickly because my goal is to be done with all of this in an hour. This is not another thing to do. I am confident that there is in several minds right now in the back of your head a concern of, oh man, pastor's adding another thing to our schedule. This is not just another thing to do. This is a shift of culture and focus. It could hardly be more clearly addressed than it was two Sundays ago. This is a, a, it's a change to the way we've always done things. I want to teach you a formula, and perhaps you've heard this before. Does anybody want to grow? I'm talking personal growth, numerical growth, spiritual growth as a church. Well, growth equals change. You cannot grow and remain exactly the same as you are right now. Growth equals change. The problem is that change equals pain. And so, by the transitive property, growth equals pain. That's why even in our human bodies, we have this concept of growing pains. There will be some growing pains. There will be some changes that perhaps we're not entirely comfortable with, but God has called us to step out of our comfort zone and to step through a door into a new realm, into a new region. So there will be some moments of pain. What I would ask you to do is not to withdraw, not to begin to complain, but come. Ask, ask me. Don't teach me. Ask me. Bring your questions. Bring your concerns. Bring your pain. Bring those things that you have uh, problems with and we'll work through them together. Now, I, I do say as we shift culture and we shift focus, there will be calendar casualties. Is that all right? There, there are going to be calendar casualties. I can demonstrate a quick one for you if you want. Uh, Tuesday night, church-wide prayer is unfortunately going to be a calendar casualty. And I know I just told the church that I canceled church prayer. Don't throw tomatoes or anything like that. If you're listening online, you can send all the hate mail uh, that you need to, I guess. 
eventually we're going to reach a point where we pull Tuesday night prayer because everybody will be in a life group. All right. Now that, that entails a level of trust. I trust, and I believe that we are a church of maturity. And so that there is a lifestyle of prayer that is occurring in each of our homes. If Tuesday night prayer is the factor that is rescuing, rescuing you and keeping you out of hellfire, then that's a separate issue that we need to work on. All right. There are going to be some calendar casualties, uh, but we're going, to, we're going to see this as it imprints into the culture. There's going to be so many positive things that begin to grow from this. Another calendar casualty, regrettably, will be Tuesday night ladies' Bible study. <clears throat> Sorry, ladies. Uh, but stay tuned. Adjustments will be made. Things will be fine-tuned. There'll be some momentary pain, but ladies' Bible study is not done. Church-wide corporate prayer is not done. There will be special prayer meetings that are called and organized, and we will come together as a body. And when we do, it will be very special, and it will be very incredible. Amen. All right. Everybody doing okay? You look like I just kicked your dog or something. This is not a removal of the church house. We will gather in one location as long as it is legally and feasibly possible. Sundays are going to be celebration Sundays. Sundays are when every cell comes together and the energy of all of the week is brought into Sunday service. And the Sunday service becomes a time of celebration of the testimony from Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday at your house and in your life. Then we come together and we begin to celebrate testimonies like Manuel being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost on a Monday night at the Krebs's house. So Sunday we bring all of those testimonies here and we celebrate together. The church will feed the cells. The cells will feed the church. Here, here's what I mean by that. I will encourage cell participation on Sundays. Anybody that comes through, not, you know, comes through another door and visits this church independently for a first time, they're going to hear about life groups in the home. They're going to be encouraged. Life group leaders will lift their hands in a service and people will be able to see, hey, I could connect to these people here and be a part of it. And the cells will feed the church. As people come into your homes, we are going to continually push Sunday attendance. You got, oh man, if you thought this was good, if you enjoyed it here tonight, you should come on Sunday when we're celebrating together. You should come if you enjoyed the music tonight, if you enjoyed Sister Tori's solo, you should come on Sunday when she's singing with the rest of the worship team. If you felt the presence of God tonight, you should come on Sunday when all of our life groups are together. You see what I'm saying? We're, we're feeding one another. It's not a cancellation of the church house. The, the Building will remain a central focus of the identity of the church until we're not able to politically. The goal is for unchurched, or it is a goal for unchurched and newcomers to be a part of a life group. It is an expectation for the core. It's a goal that we'll push for for the unchurched and newcomers. It's an expectation for the core. Another thing it is not is not a mechanism to grow only the current people that we have. If we launch this and there are no new souls, 
we'll put, we'll put a lid on it. We'll come back to Tuesday prayer. We're not getting together. Look, we love each other already. I mean, I love you anyways. I hope it's reciprocated. We love each other already. We're not getting together to discuss coffee, barbecue, ducks, jobs, kids with a side of Jesus. That's not what we're doing. This isn't a coffee life group that meets to talk about Jesus. All right? This is a Jesus life group that meets to disciple and to evangelize our communities, all right? So we're going to grow ourselves. We're going to grow our families. We're going to grow our neighborhoods. We're going to meet their needs. All right, now for an important one. You ready? I'm coming closer. We are not throwing the sheep to the wolves. Teaching and training will be done. I'm not going to lock the doors on Tuesday night and say, everybody go to your house and just... Wing it and see what happens, okay? That's not what we're going to do. Teaching and training will be done. However, I do remind you of Luke 12 and 32 where Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you ever feel like a sheep or a lamb in front of wolves, you're in a great place, actually. It's uncomfortable in your flesh, but you're exactly where God can step into the situation and begin to do something. So it might be a sign to you if you're uncomfortable, but you're proceeding, that could be a very good thing. It could be a great opportunity for the presence of God to step into our lack and meet every need. It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. For a cell to be approved for launch, there's going to need to be at least two solid core units. Again, we're not throwing you to the wolves. A core unit would be a family or a couple or a stable single adult. So you're going to need, we're going to do this together. All right? It's not going to be each of us and 15, 20 unchurched people that we're trying. No, we're going to set the tone in the life groups and people will assimilate to us and to a biblical culture and not us be pulled away from a biblical culture. All right? For the record, I do believe that everybody in this room has the potential to be a future life group leader. And I know some are excited about it. Some are terrified about it. And some are like, man, I hope he never asks me. But I'm telling you, everybody here has the potential to be a life group leader. Now, not everybody here will be a cell leader on the launch. That's important to understand. There are some that are really going to want to, but may not get to on the launch. All right? So you've, I'd ask you to be patient. Develop that fire inside of you. Support the group you're a part of. Grow the group of, that you're a part of. Your time will come. Believe me, your time will come. Your moment will come. All right, are we doing good? Do I got a few more minutes? Okay. Thank you. This is not dependent on your home size or your perceived quality of home. I'll say it again. This is not dependent on your home size or your perceived quality of home. I have a hard time fathoming somebody accepting your invitation to come to your home for for fellowship, for a Bible study, for coffee and cookies. And then they pull up to your house and they're like, oh, and just keep driving, hoping that you never saw them. I I don't think that's going to happen. In fact, I'm 
99.9% confident that is not going to happen. If If I could be super gentle with you, if we're... If we're not thankful for the homes that God has blessed us with and willing to share them with others, if we're embarrassed of our home, it becomes a pride issue. Now, I'm not saying don't, like, take care of your house. Clean your house, please. If you're going to have people over for a life group, like, run a dust rag over some things, maybe the vacuum, uh, get your kids going, clean the toilets, like, please make it smell somewhat decent. I, I realize that my house has like a baseline of, of like kids and dog dirtiness. But uh, I, I, look, I've been in almost every home in this church. And I hope to be in every home in this church. If you haven't, uh, I, I would love to come hang out with you. That would be super awesome. I have never walked into a house and been like, oh, I got to get out of here. Not one time. I'm telling you, your homes are some of the most welcoming places in this city. I've never walked in and thought, wow, this is disgusting. It's never happened. You do not need a giant living room to have a life group in your home. I'm pretty sure 120 people in the upper room was really tight. They were probably packed in pretty tight like sardines, all right? Turn your AC up. Crank it down to like 67 degrees so that when all the bodies are in there, light a candle so it smells nice. But you know what they're going to remember more than whether or not your couch and your chair matched? They're going to remember the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost that was in your living room. Why was it in your living room? Because your Holy Ghost anointed men and women of God who have spent time in prayer and time in fasting and time in the Word. And people from this community are going to step into your house And they're going to feel something they've never felt before in a house. They're going to feel peace. They're going to feel love. They're going to feel the mercy of God. And they're not going to be concerned about whether all of the linoleum looks good or it has a few stains. They won't care if there's a flow of the Holy Ghost in your house. So let's major in the major things. Let's minor in the minor things. Now you could easily go the other way. And claim that your house is too nice to have people over. That's a pride issue as well. God gave us these homes. And so whether I'm in an apartment, whether I'm in a small house, whether I'm in a big house, if I'm out in the country, there's still a way for me to make this happen. God gave me a house. I want to use that house. I want to use that car. I want to use the possessions that he gave me. See, the early church went and sold all of it and used the money from it. But we can still use everything God's given us for the kingdom. Amen. So it's not something that requires you to have some $350,000 home or a minute. You know what will not be on the interview process when you're, you come to me and say, hey, I want to start a life group. I'm not going to ask you the square footage of your home. I'm not going to ask you the year that it was constructed. I'm not going to ask you if you have a large piece of OSB covering up your entire deck window, okay? It's not going to happen. I'm going to ask you about your prayer life. All right. Are we still doing good? I am not going to be done by an hour, but I'm going to do it as quick as I can, okay? Can I have a few more minutes? Okay. This is not something that children disqualify you from. Proverbs 22 and 6 says to train up a child. 
To train up a child is different than discipline or correction after the fact. That's not what he's talking about. He doesn't say discipline a child when they do wrong. To train is a preemptive action. You are informing and teaching correct behavior prior. I believe that children can be trained on how to act when the neighbors come over to open the Bible. I believe it because we've done it. We've had neighbors over and opened the Bible, and sometimes our kids were better than others, but most of the time they just wanted to sit on my lap and talk with the neighbors. Younger kids can play quietly with toys or work on a coloring book. Older kids, and by older I mean six plus, can be discipled. A six-year-old can participate in a life group. They're doing it right now. What do we expect of our kids? They'll rise to our level of expectation. They'll rise to the level that we're calling them to. What kind of culture do we want to have? So children do not disqualify you from having a life group in your home. You can do both. Your kids will provide a point of connection with your guests. The love from your kids will pull guests back into your house. Seeing proper biblical roles and healthy families will pull people back to your house. When people from this world with broken marriages and broken homes see what biblical love and respect and healthy husband-wife relationships and healthy parent-children relationships look like, it's, it's, it's like mind-blowing to them. See, that's discipleship. You don't even realize that you're discipling, but your family is discipling other people in your community as they're watching it and they're seeing it and they're like, whoa, their children are not screaming on the floor and pitching a fit and a tantrum. And when they do, because it will probably happen, at some point in a life group, you'll have one of your, your blessed, wonderful gift from God, arrow in the quiver toddlers, will throw themselves on the floor and begin to pitch a fit. And it's a great discipleship moment and opportunity where they can see the fruit of the Spirit resting on a parent dealing and correcting and handling a situation. In fact, I think that kids make a life group better. And so if, if you're like, man, I'm thinking about who I could get in my group and I'm thinking about how, what family can I, I would look for a family with kids. I would look for a family with kids and connect them to your group. A more laid back atmosphere may be exactly what a young family is wanting to find. Maybe there are families across this community that feel like they can't take their kids to church because their kids aren't going to behave and it's too hard. And they just might be looking for believers in the community that want to come together and share the word of God together. All right. It's not dependent solely upon your ability to teach. In talking with some apostolic leaders who have successfully implemented this, they told me something I was kind of surprised by, but then it began to make sense. One of these leaders said that the preachers in their church are often the worst life group leaders. And I was like, wait, what? That's because the preachers in the church can lose focus. They can sneak a preach. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, bless God. <laughs> and you're in your living room. You know, we, we don't need you to do that. We need you to teach the word of God. 
We need you to teach a simple lesson. It's going to fit within a time frame. And then we're going to move on. I'm more concerned with your compassion and love than I am concerned with your grasp of eschatology. Now, that is not exempting each and every one of us from uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, where Paul tells Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That should be your personal life goal anyways. But when it comes to starting a life group, I am more concerned with your level of compassion for somebody that is hurting and lost and broken more than I am your ability to explain the book of Revelation to them. Material, to take that weight off of you and to coordinate and to keep the church on the same page, material will be produced centrally, likely a month at a time. So you you would have the material ahead of time and then you would be able to teach that material. There will be some lesson prep for each teacher or for each cell leader, but the goal is that any time spent is going to be able to be spent in in fellowship, in sharing of life, in lifestyle discipleship. Again, there's going to be doctrine, but there's going to be a life done together. The last thing this is not going to be, and then we're going to stand, and we're going to, we're going to pray together. This is not going to be a major financial drain. Not on you, not on the church. All right? In fact, this is probably one of the most budget-friendly ways of doing church. There's, there's literally, there's no overhead. You're already paying your mortgage or rent. Like it, that, that's going to continue whether or not we do this. I think we're not all moving into the church, by the way. That's not happening. There will be, and I want to set some minds at ease, there will be budget there to assist you. You do not have to provide a large meal every week. You should provide a snack or coffee or water. Feel free to have potlucks. Feel free to have meals additionally or occasionally. In fact, I would highly encourage it. There should be connection with people. But here's what we're going to do. For those with genuine financial concerns, and that financial concern would be an issue or would be something that would cause you to be hesitant about starting a life group, we are going to to monthly purchase gift cards for those people so that they can utilize those gift cards to buy supplies, to buy food, food items, to buy water, to buy coffee, so that they are able to provide that for their guests. And here, hear me right now. Do not be embarrassed to ask. This is a giving church. These are giving people. You are a giving person. And that generosity to the church will be there to help you to establish a life group in your home. The church is also going to do this. For every new life group that is established, for every new leader that starts a group, we will purchase and gift folding chairs to every new leader. Uh, From Amazon, I've already found the chairs. They're not super expensive. They look to be durable. They're highly rated. They're a good quality. Some nice metal and plastic black folding chairs. And you will get a number of them. You store them at your house. You bring them out for life groups. You bring them out for the neighborhood barbecue. I don't care. Just treat them nicely. But you will have support is what I'm trying to say. You will have support so that there's not a financial hurdle for you to get through to launch this in your home.